morning. Uh, my name is Daniel Lohr. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Country Oaks. Um, and Nathan asked me to preach this morning, and he gave me a few ideas, and I, I threw them all out because I said, I want to I preach on this. I'm super excited about it. So I'm very, very glad to be here this morning and bringing uh, something from God's Word. Um, it is uh, something that's exciting to me. I, I'm interested in it. I, I love it. It's uh, brought the Bible to life for me in my own personal life, and I'd like to share a little bit about that with you. Um, if you ever have gotten bored reading your Bible, today's sermon might be for you. If you have, maybe you started a uh, Bible reading plan in January, right? This is New Year kicks off. You've got all this energy. You say, okay, that's it. This year, I've got my one-year Bible reading plan. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. January goes. You're doing really good every single day. Boom, 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 boom. And then you get to about Leviticus 15. And it slows down a little bit. And you're like, okay, once or twice, three times a week, I'm doing all right. Kind of, I'm, I'm pushing through. Then you hit numbers, and you really start to bog down. And you're like, okay, once a month, I'm, I'm still chipping away. And by the time you get to here in September, you're starting to count Sunday morning as your Bible reading plan. It's like, hey, the, the pastor read some scripture on Sunday that checks once a week. I'm doing good here. Um, but you, maybe you get a little bit bored or you're just, it's not engaging to you. You're not sure what to do with it. Um, and this morning, I would like to uh, encourage you in this way, uh, not through saying, uh, shame on you, you need to do better, you need to work harder, or uh, anything like that. What I want to do is, is open, it, open your mind up to God's Word and what the depths of God's Word. It's interesting, it's challenging, it's engaging, and I want to show that to you this morning. I'm going to demonstrate that to you this morning. Um, you see, God wrote two stories. One, He wrote the story of history. Right? He, he started with creation, and he moves all the way down to where we are today, and he's continuing to write. He's using the people and the places and everything involved to write a story, right? a, a big story that has purpose, and the, the paragraphs of, of history are intentional. God is working in them for a purpose, bringing it all together. He's ordained the events of history for a purpose and for good. He has a plan to the story. It's not haphazard. It's not like he's a, a, a watchmaker. He set the, wound it up and set it running and let it go. No, he has a plan that he's, in it, he's, he's intentionally working for our good. And it's brilliant. It's a great plan. So that's the first story. The second story is the story about the story. So the Bible is the story about the story, where he's specific things in Scripture— and, or in, in history, and highlighted them in Scripture to show us things, to show us uh, what he's doing in the redemptive history of the world. And so he's inspired the human authors to write specific things for specific purposes. It isn't as though the, the human authors were like, well, I'm just going to tell you the story of my life, or I'm going to tell you, tell you about something that happened to me, I'm going to record it in detail. No, God is saying, I want them to know about this specific thing in a specific way, for my purposes. And so the authors of the Bible, inspired by God, write particular things. And the Bible is written creatively. It's not just a, a list of facts or a list of events. There's creativity involved to it. It's poetic. It's intelligent. All of it is pointing to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Right? All of it's pointing towards Christ. It's one author, one purpose, the unity of Scripture by God has ordained this to happen. 
So when we read through Scripture and we notice patterns starting to happen, we know events, we see events being repeated, similar kinds of events being repeated, or we see unique words used again and again, or phrases, there's an idea or a phrase that gets repeated or picked up later on. Those are intentional. It's not, it's not as though somebody, you know, Jeremiah's writing and he happens to write some of the same words as Moses wrote or something like this. Like, well, that's just a weird coincidence. No, God is ordaining the events of history and the writings of the Bible on purpose for us to learn from it and to see what God is doing. So there's not very many coincidences in the Bible when we see these repetitious patterns. God is super, super smart. I don't know if you know that, but he's a lot smarter than you and I are. He's even smarter and better at writing stories than even our best authors. So he calls, he calls back to things that he's talked about as he's writing. He'll allude to, to stories from earlier, he'll allude to other ideas from earlier that he's already written about. He'll foreshadow events that are going to be happening to pique our interest, to, to engage our minds, to expect something else. It's not, like a, it's not like a cookbook, right, where we just get instructions for the day. A lot of times we, we re approach Scripture like that, like, here's a set of instructions. I'm going to read two or three chapters, and it's going to tell me what I need to do today. Sometimes it does that. Sometimes God uses it to encourage our hearts when we're sad or we're struggling or we have something. He'll, he'll give us something from Scripture for our hearts. But primarily, he's got bigger purposes going on. This book when we read it like that, when we look, all right, I need a nugget, of, I need a nugget for today just to, to help me get through. We read the Bible like it's about us. And the problem is, the reason we get bored when we read the Bible like that is because it's, if we're reading it like it's about us, we're boring. Right? And so we think the Bible's boring because we think it's about us. But it's not. It's about God. So when we read it like it's about God and about God's plan— it's exciting because God is exciting. God is amazing. And so Scripture is amazing because it's about Him, not about us. So when we start to see that, it comes alive to us. And so today's sermon, I want to demonstrate that. I'm going to try and demonstrate it almost exhaustively with how much we're going to go through, but it's not exhaustive. That's the thing. It's going to feel like, oh man, you covered it all. I'm only going to scratch the surface of this today. So turn to Deuteronomy 18 with me. Deuteronomy 18 we're going to read just a few verses, and really, we're only going to get into a couple, two, three of them. Because there's no time. You guys only have an attention span of like an hour, and then you're going to kick me out. So we're just going to, we're just going to hit the surface. Deuteronomy 18. And there's not going to be anything on the screen today. Um, because I want you in your Bible, whatever it is you've got, I want you to look at it. Whether it's on your phone or on, in here, because we're going to do some things as we go through this that I want you to know what your Bible looks like and how it's laid out and how it can be helpful to you as you read your Bible every day. Okay, so turn to Deuteronomy 18, chapter, or verse 15. says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Let's pray before we get into this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, it is deep. Lord, thank you that we can, we can read it our whole lives and never understand it all. Lord, we are fallen and broken people, including myself, and we struggle to understand 
perfect truth. So, but this morning, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts, that you would be gracious and kind to us this morning to help us to understand how much there is here to see. Lord, that it isn't just a surface-level reading, but, Lord, that we would see deeper what you've hidden in your scripture. Lord, that the enemy can't understand. Unbelievers don't get it. But, Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit that he can uh, reveal truth to us in scripture. And I pray that this morning that that would be true. Lord, I ask that myself, that you would um, empty me of myself. Lord, that you fill me up, that my words... Um, Lord, would, would be, speak truth and that whatever I say that's wrong, that you would silence that in the minds of those who hear, that they would hear from you and you alone. Lord, I am a finite and fallen human being and insufficient to be here this morning, and yet you've called me to it. I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified and that I would be small this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's, let's look at this text just a little bit. We want to slow down. When I come to a text like this, I, I like to slow down and ask the text some questions. Right? I, I want to ask it some questions. And, and that engages my mind with it a little bit. And so when I, when I come to this text, my first question is, why do they need a prophet at all? Why do they need a prophet at all? We've been reading in Exodus 20. Nathan has been here for 45 years in Exodus 20. And so in Exodus 20, we see God... Sorry, Nathan, I apologize. In Exodus 20 we see God audibly speak to the crowd. He audibly speaks the Ten Commandments to the people. And what do the people say? They freak out. Right? God, God says, how many of us wish that? God, just speak to me. God speaks to them, and they lose it. They say, we will die. We will die if you keep speaking to us like this. And God says, yeah, you're right. If the holy God continues to speak to an unclean, imperfect, sinful people— they will die because the word of God is so powerful, so pure, so good. They will die. So they say that we can't handle any more of that. And God says, you're right. I'm going to give you Moses. I'll talk to him. And then he's going to bring to you what I have to say. Okay, and the people say, okay, good. Whew. They're going to have an intermediary between us and God. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, when I say thank you, Jesus, will you guys give me an amen? Okay, thank you, Jesus. Amen. The second question I see when I look at this, I say, why would they need another prophet? Wasn't Moses sufficient? Moses is really, really good prophet, right? He, he's powerful. He, uh, he brings all these miracles. He speaks the word of God faithfully. Um, he loves his people. He's a good prophet. Why do they need another prophet? And I look at this text, and I don't see it. My last question had to answer in the text, right, they, where they said, uh, don't talk or else I die. Okay, that's why we need a prophet. But why... Why do we need another one? Why isn't Moses good enough? And I don't see it here, but I'm reminded, because I've already read Exodus 20. If I'm reading my Bible, you know, kind of reading through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, I get to Deuteronomy. I'm remembering, Holy Spirit reminds me, hey, remember Exodus 20. What happened? So let's go back and look at Exodus 20. Flip in your Bibles over to Exodus 20, that you've already read this by the time you get to Deuteronomy. Look at, look at 18. Now when all the people saw the, th hey, you're still flipping, I'm sorry. I was just going. I got it marked already, Exodus 20. You guys should, it should be like creased in your Bible by this point because Nathan's been here so long. Exodus 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Okay, we understand that. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you 
that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Then what happens? Listen, 21. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What's wrong with Moses? Good prophet. He couldn't bring the people near to God. The people had to stay far off. He wants the people to come near. He desires for them to come near, but they can't. They're unclean. Matter of fact, he's unclean. They're sinners. He's sinners. It, he can't bring them to God. He can, he can lead the people. He can minister to the people. He can speak God's words to the people, but he can't bring the people of God near to God. So we need something more. We need a better prophet. That's what this text is saying. We need another one. Moses was not good enough. He was good, but he wasn't good enough. Let's go back to our text in Deuteronomy. I have another question of it. So it says, I'll raise up another prophet among you, from you among your brothers. I listen to him. And, and I ask myself, well, what, what does it mean that you'll raise up another one? What, what is he going to look like? What is he going to be like? What is he going to do? How is he going to act? What makes Moses, if he's going to be like Moses, what is Moses like? What, what makes Moses a unique prophet? Because there's lots of prophets, right? There are prophets before and there will be prophets after. What makes Moses a unique prophet? Well, from our immediate context, we can pick up a few things. As we're reading this, we'll see, okay, look, go back to 17, chapter 17. At the end of 17, if you got in your Bible a title, these things can be really helpful sometimes. In, in mine, in right before 14 has a title and it says, Laws Concerning Israel's Kings. So God's going to give instruction, hey, there, you'll want a king one day. Here's the instructions for the king. And then at the beginning of 18, he does something else. He says, uh, here's provisions for priests and Levites. Okay, so he's going to give instructions for what a, a priest, who a priest should be and how they should act. And then we get to 18 verse 9 and following, and he, he talks about the Canaanite prophets and how they do it. And he's like, don't do that. I got to do it a different way. So here we have instructions for kings, priests, and prophets. And as we read through that and we think on the life of Moses, because now we have a good chunk of what Moses has done, we think, oh, Moses led the people like a king. Moses ministered to the people like a priest. Moses brought the word of God like a prophet. What's unique about Moses? He was a prophet, a priest, and a king. That's what's unique about him. It's like, okay, kind of getting this is starting to, starting to come together. But you say, but yeah, but what else? What else makes Moses unique? And here's where I want you to start to look in your Bibles. This is why I wanted you to have them. In, maybe in the margins, you might have some like cross-references. It says, you know, CF, and it'll give you a little cross-reference. Or maybe if you have a study Bible, it'll have them down at the bottom. Somewhere on there, it's going to have a bunch of cross-references. And your cross-reference for 1815 or 1819, something in there, it's going to give you a cross-reference to Deuteronomy 34. And if you don't have a Bible that has cross-references, that's fine. You're just going to keep reading in your daily reading, and you're going to get Deuteronomy, and you're going to keep going. But you have this question nagging in the back of your mind. What does it mean to be a prophet like Moses? And one day you're going to get over to Deuteronomy 34. So turn there, Deuteronomy 34. Not too far. Deuteronomy 34. We're going to read verse 10. And it says, we're going to read 10, 11, 12. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. And right now you sh your cross-reference alarm bells inside your head should be going off. A prophet like Moses. I've heard this. What did I hear? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Earlier when I was reading. Or maybe you've jumped here and you say, oh, those are the same words. Oh, this is important. So we have not had a prophet like Moses. Now, Deuteronomy 34 is after Moses is dead. So clearly, 
It was written sometime, we don't know how far after Moses was dead, sometime probably either in Joshua's uh, reign or maybe during the time of the judges or the kings. We don't know exactly when, but sometime after Moses' death, this chapter of Deuteronomy was written. And it says, we don't have a prophet yet like Moses. Okay, all right, what does it mean to be like Moses then? Okay, so look at, uh, there has not risen a prophet since in, all, in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This is Numbers 12. Number, knew face to face. So the prophet that's going to rise up, that God's going to rise up to be like Moses, is going to be like Moses in the fact that he's going to see God face to face. That's important. We're going we're to file that away. And then verse 11, None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. Okay, so whoever it is is going to show the power of God to the non-Jews. He's going to demonstrate great power, and clearly from the last time, a greater power to the, uh, to the non-Jews. And then look, 12, And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So he's going to do great wonders and uh, amazing things to the pe- for the people of God, to the Jews as well. And what did, what did Moses do? He fed, he fed people manna in the wilderness. He brought water forth from the rock. Right? So this is, this is what we're thinking. Okay, so now we're looking for somebody. We're looking for somebody that can bring forth water from the rock, that we can feed the famine, feed the, the wilder, people in the wilderness, that can perform great signs and wonders like the world has never seen. Thank you, Jesus. There's been a lot of prophets like similar to Moses, right? Not greater. Not been a greater prophet. There's been prophets, there's been priests, there's been kings, there's been good ones. Right? We have Joshua, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all good guys, men of God. But Joshua, very, very, very similar to, to Moses. Certainly not greater. He didn't even speak to God face to face. David, great king, great king. But we know about his failure, sinful failure. Clearly not greater than Moses. Isaiah and Jeremiah, wonderful men of God, prophets. But they saw visions and dreams. They didn't speak to God face to face. The judges, we look through the book of Judges. Nah, we don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to go there. They were massive failures. None of the, the we read through, as we're, we're reading daily, we're reading through, we're going through the book, the Old Testament books, and we're looking and continually we see failure after failure after failure of prophets, priests, and kings who don't measure up to Moses. None of them match Moses' power, the way his relationship was with God. All failures in some respect. They don't even exceed him. I mean, they're supposed to exceed him. And they don't even match him. So we have failure after failure after failure. Disappointment and failure. Thank you, Jesus. So we go back to Deuteronomy 18 because it clues us in. It clues us in to to something that we're going to be looking for. We're going to be looking for someone who speaks face-to-face with God. We're looking for someone who's a prophet, a priest, and a king in one. Someone who's going to perform greater signs and wonders than Moses. Someone who's going to bring God's people near to God. I think that's the ultimate one. Who is it that's going to bring God's people near to God? Obviously, this is Jesus. Spoiler alert. 
But this is hindsight. You have 2,000 years of history and teaching to understand that this is Jesus. We get that. The New Testament believers, authors of the New Testament, didn't have our hindsight. So when Jesus appears on the scene, he says, I'm here. And people go, I'm here too. And they're there, and we're here, and we're all here. This is great. He says, no, I'm here. Okay? That's good. Okay. So he has to explain to the people that he is here. He is the prophet like Moses. He has to explain this to the people. So he does it in a few ways. Um, I want to look at, with the time we have left, what it means that Jesus is a prophet like Moses. Um, God sets up Jesus, Moses' life and Jesus' life to be parallel for this purpose, so that as we see Jesus' life play out and we have read about Moses' life, we start to see the parallels and we say, oh, this is what, Jesus, this is what Moses was talking about. So we think through, okay, Jesus' life. And I, we could go look at each one of these and spend a bunch of time. I don't have time, so I just want to give them to you a little bit and you guys can go research them on your own in your own Bible reading time. You can dig deep forever on these. First thing, they were both born into extreme persecution. Okay, Moses, baby in the basket, right? It, the Pharaoh was trying to wipe out the Israelites. He, didn't, he was afraid of them. They were getting powerful and strong, and so he says all the, all the males have to be killed. Moses' mother puts him in the basket, gets adopted into Pharaoh's household. So there's extreme persecution just being born. And then we have early. Herod finds out, oh, there's a new king? We better take him out because that's a threat to my, my throne and my lineage. So we're going to take out this king, and he just starts wiping out babies. Anybody Jesus' age and younger, wipes them out. Right? And so Jesus has to flee. Where does Jesus and his family flee to? Egypt. Coincidence? No. Okay. Flees to Egypt, and he gets called back out of Egypt. Then we have Moses and Jesus both being from royal households. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. Jesus in heaven. Royal Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Jesus was in heaven with the Father in a royal household. And they both left their royal positions to come be with their people. Moses came down, came out of the Pharaoh's household, wanted to help save his people, right? be with his people. Jesus left heaven, came down to earth to save his people. They're both initially rejected. So Moses comes and he, he saves the 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 Egyptians beaten up at one of his, you know, Jewish friends, and he kills the, the, the Egyptian and kind of goes bad. But then they come back and say, who are you to be judge over us? Initially just rejected by the ones he came to save. Jesus comes, says, I'm a savior. And they say, yeah, we don't want you. We kill you. They kill him. They kill Jesus. They reject him, right? Over and over throughout Jesus' life, he's rejected by the people he came to save. Same as Moses. Their close family members reject him. Miriam and Aaron challenge Moses' authority as prophet. God shuts that down really hard, really fast. Jesus was rejected by his brothers. They knew him from, a, from, from their birth all the way up to adulthood. They knew who he was. They rejected him. And you say, well, these are just coincidences. Maybe, maybe. Or God is trying to point you to something, something greater. Here's a fun one. So when... The, the Israelites, Moses goes up and talk to God, 
comes back down, and the people are doing what? They have a golden calf that they're worshiping. This is the, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And, and Moses, what does he do next? He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights after the people fell to temptation. What does Jesus do before he goes to get tempted in the wilderness, Matthew 4? He fasts for a long time. Fasts for about a month. Fasted until he was weak and couldn't handle it anymore. No, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Could he have fasted for 39 days and accomplished the same physical thing? Yeah, 39 days, 40 days, that's a long fast. But he fasted for 40 days. So history, events of history, line up. And then the authors included 40 days and 40 nights. Why? Why that number? Moses did it. This is the one like Moses. You're starting to, you're starting to see this thing. Jesus, before he went to face temptation, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Moses. Moses, um, you know, he struck the rock. He was supposed to speak to the rock, and then water would come out. Instead, he struck the rock, right? Sin. And God, God rejected him. But Moses' heart was for the people. God says, you can't go into the promised land with the people. And he says, but God, they're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. They're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. That's an important phrase. In Mark's account, just before Jesus feeds the 5,000, do you know what he says? Mark says about what Jesus was thinking. He says, Jesus said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Why did Mark write that? Did he have to include that? No, didn't have to. He's trying to recall our minds. Hey, remember when Moses said this thing? And if you're reading your Bible, and you're like, you just sheep without a shepherd, okay. You're like, you don't rec- Look in your cross-references. Slow down. Look at those. Oh, this is, why is this pointing back all the way to numbers? That doesn't make any sense. Flip over to numbers. Moses said, sheep without a shepherd. Oh, Oh, I put these two things together. Those are weird phrases, unique phrases put together. It's important. It's on purpose. God's got a big plan. He's working together. Mark is literally screaming at us. This is the prophet like Moses. And he says that phrase. I want to, um, I want to go through two examples. These are kind of like abstract ones that I'm just, I'm just throwing at you. I'll let you pick those up and run with them later. But I want to take you to Luke 9 and look at one really closely. Okay, Luke 9, turn to Luke 9. This is the transfiguration of Jesus. And this one's awesome because it's super compact for us and there's a ton here. And when you read, slow down on Luke 9, verse 28. It says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Okay, hold on. Where did he go? Up on the mountain to pray. Who else goes up on the mountain? Moses. Moses is constantly going up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. What is Jesus doing? Going up the mountain. Later he's going to come back down the mountain. Later he's going to go back up the mountain. This is Jesus. Why is he doing this? He could have gone to a valley. He could have gone to a hill. He could have gone to... Why did he go to a mountain? Because Moses went to a mountain. And he is the prophet like Moses. So verse 29. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. This should immediately, in our minds, take us back to Moses. And if it doesn't, take you back to Moses. Moses, remember, he, was, his, he went to go see, see God, and his face was glowing, and they had to cover it with a veil because the people were freaking out about it, and it was because he was in the presence of God, and so he, he started glowing. Here we have Jesus glowing. And if you're reading through here, you're like, I'm doing my daily devotions, I'm reading Luke 9, and you see that, you're like, oh, okay, cool. And, but you don't make that connection with Moses. It's okay, because the biblical authors will help you out. Look at verse 30. 
And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Oh, hey, uh, that should remind me of Moses. If, if putting his name literally in the text doesn't allude to Moses, then you're, you, I can't help you. But it's, it's literally pointing you, look, this Jesus is the prophet like Moses. So verse 31, he appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Now, this is why I want you to have your Bibles here and not up on the screen because our screen doesn't have footnotes. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you in your Bible under the word departure have a little footnote or an asterisk or something? Raise your hand. How many of you have a footnote? Half of you are raising your hand and the other half are not paying attention. Okay, the other half, please pay attention. There is a footnote and under that it says Greek exodus. So what that means is in the Greek, the word literally is translated exodus. And they didn't put exodus there because in English it sounds funny. For us it sounds, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus? We don't really use that word. People don't really know what it means. So they use departure so it's a little bit easier for us to read. That's a little bit of a problem. Because the author, when, when they use weird words, they don't use weird grammar by accident or because they're bad at Greek. They use it to highlight something. Hey, I'm going to use funny, weird words here because I want you to pay attention. This is different. This is weird. This is alluding to something. So it says that Jesus is talking about his exodus. Who else had an exodus? Please tell me you know it's Moses. Okay, Moses went through an exodus, and Jesus here is about to accomplish the same thing at Jerusalem. This is the new Moses. Now, okay, then Peter, we don't have time to go into what all Peter, what's got to say. Peter pipes up here. I'll just read it for Peter's sake. Come on. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. <laughs> Remarkable. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Peter, don't do it. Don't, don't say it. Okay. Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, <clears throat> one for Moses, one for Elijah not knowing what he said. And we could go into that. We're not going to go into that because we've got to keep moving today. Look at verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. When else did a cloud come down and overshadow something? Actually, a lot of places, right? Specifically, we see it in Exodus 20. We see it again at the tabernacle. I mean, this is the God, God's coming down in a cloud, reminding us that this happens to Moses all the time. Verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud. And we have a voice coming out of the cloud with Moses. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That's an interesting word. Listen to him. Again, our cross-references should be like, our alarm should be going off. Listen to him. Listen to him. Who do I? And if you didn't get it, you look at your little cross-reference thing, and it kicks you back over to Deuteronomy 18, 15, where we just came from. And what is the God's command to us when we see the new prophet? What is, our, what is his command? Listen to him. And here is God literally saying, listen to him. So if you haven't gotten it by this point, you've got to get it now. That this is Moses. This is the new Moses, the new prophet like Moses, rather. Listen to him. And the voice had spoken. Jesus was found alone. He kept silent and told no one these days, those days, anything of what they had seen. This is a nice, clear passage Moses and Jesus are being equated. We can see this when we read through Scripture. We find these themes. We slow down. We think about it. God has ordained 
the events of history. He's ordained the way that Luke wrote about the history, all to show who Jesus was for a purpose. And this is throughout Scripture. This is all over the place. And we could look through the rest of Luke. We don't have time. We could find this all over the place. And there's other things, too. Like, it's not just looking like Moses. There's other, other characters. And, but we don't have time for all that. We're just showing you, trying to give you a piece of what it looks like to read the Bible holistically. To see it all as one big unit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's look at John 5. Let's look at John 5. Flip over a little bit more. John chapter 5. Okay, so when we have Moses speaking for God, what are the words he says? Before the preface, when he prefaces, he's about to speak something like directly from God. These are God's words. He says what? Thus says the Lord. Right? Thus says the Lord. All the prophets do this. Thus says the Lord. And then they go on and give what what God said for them to say. So it's like, hey, here are God's words, thus says the Lord. What does Jesus do when he speaks? Look at 519. 519. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Let me stop right there. We have an escalation, right? It isn't, thus says the Lord. It says, truly, truly, I say to you. Is he speaking for God? Yes. Is he speaking for himself? Yes. Is he speaking with the authority of God? Yes. Is he speaking with the authority of himself? Yes. Truly, truly, I say to you. So he's taken what Moses has done and escalated it because he is God, speaking on his own authority, not speaking on behalf of God, but speaking from God. Because he and the Father are one. He's got a greater authority than Moses. But how do we know it's from God? We think about Moses. How did we know that Moses was from God? Moses, God says to Moses, Moses, go to my people and take them out of Egypt. And he says, yeah, but they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that I'm coming from you. They're just going to say, hey, he's just a guy. And he says, God says, okay, I'm going to have you do a few things. Put your hand in your cloak. It comes out gross. Put it back in. It comes out okay. You're going to throw a rod on the ground turn to a snake. Well, I'm going to show you. There's going to be all these things, and they're going to believe that you're from me because of the signs and wonders that you perform. Look at verse 36. Halfway through, John chapter 5, verse 36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. How do we know that Jesus was from God? Because of the miracles that he performed. Massive signs and wonders, healing people, bringing things. I mean, just, it's massive, the amount of stuff. It, the Bible, the New Testament authors are just like, there's so much there that we couldn't even tell you at all. They would fill all the volumes of Scripture, all the bo- volumes of books in the world, there's so much going on there, right? The escalation, Moses did some pretty good things, but Jesus takes it to a whole other level to show that he is from God and that his message is true. Look at verse, uh, chapter 5. We're, I mean, we're, we're cruising through John 5. 40, look at ver- verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So if you're reading along through John, and you get to this John chapter 5, and you're just reading a lot, and you don't make this connection about Moses and Jesus and this whole thing, he literally says it to you. He literally says, Moses wrote about me. Right? That, that should be really clear. What do you mean Moses wrote about? That's, how did, where, did, where did he write about me? You check your little cross-reference. It sends you back over to Deuteronomy 18. You say, oh, this is what he, and Maybe it's going to send you a bunch of other places, too, where Moses is talking about the future coming Messiah. But it says, Moses wrote about me. So we know, okay, clearly. And now here's, as we continue on, here's where we, um, 
So the chapter divisions are awesome, super helpful, right? I can tell you, hey, go to John chapter 5, and you can all go to the same place. I can tell you, go to John chapter 6 and go to the same place. And that's awesome. I love the chapter divisions. But here's where we um, sometimes have a problem. We see a chapter, and we're like, oh, okay, chapter 1 or chapter 5 over here, and then we have chapter 6 over here, and that's a story, and then here's a story, and they're different stories. That's not, obviously, the chapter division. We put those in for our benefit. They're not, they're not there in the original writings, right? There's no chapter divisions. So John chapter 5, verse 47 is followed by, like, immediately, like, there's no break here. It's the same story. So what happens? Jesus says, hey, Moses wrote about me. I'm the one to come. I'm the prophet to come. What does he do next? Look at your title of the next section. What does it say? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Who else fed the, the people of God in the wilderness? Moses. Moses did it, right? He's literally saying, oh, I'm going to, first I'm going to say it with my words so you know, and then I'm going to act it out so you see clearly I'm proving to you who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. And so look at uh, John 6, 3. I mean, this is, it's just all over the place. Look at 6, 3. Jesus went up on the mountain. He goes, uh, he goes up, he ascends the mountain. So when you start reading through Exodus, and we're going to work through, and as you see Deuteronomy, you're going to see Moses going up and down the mountain. You're going to see Jesus going up and down the mountain. And now you're going to read your Bible, and you're going to say, oh, that's what's going on when Jesus is going up the mountain. It's just not just telling us a fun fact of history. There's a point to it. Okay, so let's keep, let's keep working our way through this. Look at, uh, look at 15. So Jesus feeds the 5,000. You still haven't understood this, that Jesus is saying that he is the prophet like Moses. Verse 14, John says it to you. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. John's saying, hey, even the people at the time recognized what was going on. Hey, this prophet to come, he's going to act like Moses. What did Moses do? He fed us. That was, I mean, that is a story over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament that Moses fed the people through manna, and here's Jesus feeding the people. Okay, keep going. Verse 15, halfway through, Jesus withdrew again, where? To the mountain by himself. Mountain, mountain, mountain. Okay, keep going. So Jesus comes down from the mountain, goes out to find his disciples. He walks on water. We're super excited about that. Um, and what does he say in verse 20? He says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Uh, I love, thank you, Lord, for the English translations we have. Sometimes they let us down, okay? Not often. They're really, really good, super helpful to us. But sometimes they just miss things. And I look through all the different trans, NIV and New King James, and like I look through them, and they all say something like, it is I. You know the Greek words are? Ego eimi. I am. But that sounds really weird. I am, do not be afraid. That, that's bad English. It's also bad Greek. Um, and so they smooth it out for us because they want it to be easy to read. He is claiming here to be God. Jesus is saying, I am. Remember, Jesus, God, God Yahweh says, who do you say that? I am. He says, I always says, I am. Oh, wow. Right, here's Jesus saying, I am. An escalation of Moses' authority, Moses' power. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a man. I am a man, but I'm not just a man. I'm also God. Escalation. Okay, look, we're still going. Look, 32. 632. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of, from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
He's saying, he says, look, it's not the manna. That was one thing. It was good. It fed you, kept you alive in the wilderness. He's saying, I'm greater than that. I am, I am the bread of life, eternal life. Jesus is escalating it. And he's pointing us to the connection between Moses. If you're not catching it, by the time you read John, this is, I mean, we fall asleep when we read our Bibles. You know, we get through our, our daily devotions. We check the boxes or whatever, and we fall asleep on this stuff. We don't make these connections that, oh, he's, he's trying to alert me that I need to go back and read Exodus 15 and 16. And we keep going down. John, John 6, 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Do you remember anybody else who grumbled when they got food? <laughs> it's... So the, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? And then it was translated into Greek. And so the, the New Testament authors, oftentimes, uh, they, they, when they cite the Old Testament or whatever, they will oftentimes cite the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. Um, and they, they use, so John, this word grumbled, same, same word over there in, in Exodus 15 and six, 16. The people are grumbling against Moses. They're hungry or they're thirsty or whatever the case. Go back and read it. Right? They're, they're hungry and they're thirsty and they, they're grumbling against Moses. And here you have Jesus and the people are grumbling. He could have used a lot of words there, right? There's a lot of ways to describe how the people are reacting to Jesus right here. And he chose this word grumble to make that connection back to Deuteronomy, back to Exodus. Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Um, so the ESV, I love the ESV. It's my, my favorite translation. Um, they kind of miss it here. The NIV does a nice job. This verse, and this is why it's important, read multiple versions sometimes. If you ha- run into a spot and you're like, ah, that's weird. I don't understand it. Or uh, read it in a different translation. Try the New King James. Try the NIV. Try the, even the NLT or the NE. Uh, there's all so many. Try, try reading different things. But listen, the NIV does this one. It says, everyone who listens to the Father... Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Heard, we miss it in English because it's heard. But the word there is akuo, which is the same word back in Deuteronomy, what? 18, 15. When the prophet comes, listen to him. He's going to speak for me. Here we are. Everyone who has heard or everyone who listens and learns from the Father comes to me. Connecting it. Connecting it for us. Not that anyone, verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Who is from God? He's already said he is from God. He has seen the Father. What does that mean? He has seen the Father what? Face to face. He has seen the Father face to face. Oh, a prophet like Moses is supposed to see the Father face to face. Jesus is saying, I've done that. In all these ways, he is like hammering over and over again all the ways. He's fulfilling it in every way. And he's showing it to us. The New Testament authors are showing us, hey, look, this is the guy. This is the man. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But remember that this uh, prophet, like Moses, has to be better than Moses. He has to bring the people of God near to God. Not enough to perform miracles. Not enough to make all these claims. You have to be able to Bring the people of God near to God. Does Jesus do this? Yes. Through the cross, right? 
We won't, we won't go through all of the scripture for this, but you know Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was perfectly man. He was perfectly God, infinite God, the only one who could atone and take care of our sin. He made us, he died on the cross, and, he, and if we believe in him, we get to be clean based on his righteousness. I mean, when we're clean, we get to approach the Father. Hebrews, read Hebrews. It says we get to approach the throne with confidence because of what Jesus has done. He's made it possible for the people of God to draw near. Moses could only say, hey, hey guys, you should come near. And they say, no, we're not coming near because we're going to die. And then God's like, yeah, you're right, you'll die. Stay over there. I want to make a way for you. And Jesus says, hey, believe in me and come on in. Come on in. And he draws the people of God near to God. Escalates what Moses had done. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you might be thinking, oh, you, you're, you're making some nice connections here, but this, maybe you're just kind of making this up, right? I mean, there's a lot of history, a lot of things, and maybe you're just making this up, Damien. Okay, fine, don't believe me, but then you have to turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts ta- chapter 3. And uh, if you don't know, if you're reading through Acts, this is going to, you're going to, oh, you're going to hit this, and you're going to, alarm bells will go off for you. If they don't, don't worry. The cross-references are going to take you to Acts chapter 3, so you should to those. Acts chapter 3 verse 22 says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And that shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter, in his speech about Jesus, literally quotes this passage and says, hey, go look at it. Go check it out. Go see that what that was all about. This is Jesus, he's saying. He's making this, so I'm not making this up. Peter makes this connection, shows it to us, lays it out for us to find. But here's, I want to give, so you're thinking, okay, great, Daniel, you've told us all this thing. You've already exhausted the the whole Moses thing. I have nothing, like I was going to be excited to go read this on my own, but now you've done all the work for me. Okay, sorry. But I'm going to give you a new one to go off of. Look at 26. Same, Acts chapter 3, verse 26. God raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your, from your wickedness. You might think, uh, okay, so what's the big deal? It, look at 22. God will raise up, raise up for you a prophet. And then when he repeats it, it says, God having raised up his servant, not prophet, servant. What Peter's done for you, so then you go and run with this. He said, okay, look, the prophet and the servant are the same person in Jesus Christ. Well, who is the servant? Now, this is your homework, Isaiah 42 and following, the suffering servant. People of, the, the Jews at the time were looking for a prophet, and they were looking for a suffering servant, but they were looking for two people, and Peter says, no, it's one person. Now, here we are many, many 2,000 years later, and Peter's saying, hey, go check this out. And this whole rabbit, you can run this rabbit trail. I mean, it's just, it's not even a rabbit trail. It is like the main trail. Right, go run these trails. These are, these are hiking trails that have been well-worn for you to go and follow them. And this is how you should be reading Scripture. Not like, well, what does this mean for me? What does this mean to me? So what does this mean about God? What has Jesus done? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Okay, he is the prophet and the servant. What is the servant? Let me go look up. Oh, servant, suffering. Oh, it's gonna be, he's going to suffer and die. Oh, okay. But he's also the prophet, which means he's a, he's a king and a priest and a prophet all in one, but also the servant. I mean, it's just the magnitude and the depth of Scripture is unreal. And you have access to it. You have the same Holy Spirit I have to find all this stuff out. 
Right? He is going to guide you in Scripture as you read it to understand. The, I, I, feel, I feel bad for unbelievers because they can't under, it's a spiritually discerned book. They can't understand it. They read, I don't see what, what connection you're talking about. But the Holy Spirit living inside of you says, look at here and look at over here and you understand these things together. This is God's word for you. It's awesome. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Okay, so what are our big takeaways? What are our big takeaways? Okay, first, Jesus is the promised prophet. If you haven't gotten that by now, you've been sleeping. Wake up. Jesus is the promised prophet like Moses, which means what? What is the, look at Deuteronomy, go back to Deuteronomy 18. There's one command he's given to us. We're supposed to listen to him, and if you don't, what happens? Deuteronomy 18, 19. Whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. What does that mean, I will require it of him? This is like when I talk to my kids, uh, and I say, hey, don't do that thing or you're going to be in trouble. What am I, I'm saying, if you do that thing, you will get a spanking. That's what I'm saying. Like, don't do that thing or you'll be in trouble. And God's saying here, I will require it of you. He's saying, I will requ- I will, you will spend eternity in hell for not listening to Jesus. If you do not listen to Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell. What is Jesus' message? Simply boiled down, what is it? Repent and believe. Repent of your sins. You're a rotten sinner deserving of hell. Amen. Yes, it's true. Believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He died on the cross for you, wiping away all of your sins and making you clean if you put your faith in him. That's the simple message. So listen to that, or God's going to require it of you. That easy. So that's primary. Secondly, what we take away from today. Reading your Bible is awesome. Okay? If you're new to reading your Bible, maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and you just have never really read the Bible, read it fast. Read it super, super fast. Like, as fast as you can. Uh, don't, don't stop and ponder the deeper things. Don't slow down and, and fall to the cross. Just read, like, start in Genesis, and five, ten chapters a day, however fast you can do it, and just go through it, boom, like speed read through it all the way through to Revelation. Just figure out what's in there, right? Overview. What's the big picture? What's going on in this Bible? So you have some knowledge of what's in Scripture. Then once you've done that, then throttle it back and slow down. Slow way down. Um, One-year Bible reading plans are good, but here's the thing. Bible reading plans were made for man, not man for the Bible reading plan. So, if it's helpful to you, good. If it keeps you going, keeps you on pace, that's good. But if you see something and you're like, oh, I want to explore this more, but I got I to gotta read the next chapters or I'm going to fall behind. Man, forget that thing. Follow those cross-references, right? Go all over Scripture. And you're like, I read one verse today, but I actually read like 14 chapters because I was all over. That's better. That's way better. The Bible is, is a deep mind that you can just, I mean, and there, there's caverns everywhere. And just follow them. It's fun. It's exciting. It's rather than, okay, what is this? Uh, yeah, I hate my boss, and this is going to help me not hate my boss as much. Okay, that'll work. Okay, well, I'm on to my next thing. Come on now. Oh, man, this is God's word talking about him and what he's done and what Jesus has done to save us and how it's all connected and what, I mean, he's just played it all together perfectly, and you can follow this. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you to do it. Slow down. Study it. Soak it in. Think on it. Don't get bored by it. 
It's not about you, and you are boring. Go into the depths of Scripture. And I pray today that that would sink into your heart, that you'd have a renewed interest in reading the God, God's Word, that you would see it for what it is, how brilliantly it's written, and that as you draw close to God, that you be transformed. By being, by being near to God, you, your life will be transformed. Your heart will be transformed by the power of his Holy Spirit working in you as you see God. You know, you see Paul, Paul says uh, that he is the chief of sinners. And we look at that, and how is that, how can Paul make that claim that he is the chief of sinners? Why? Because he, he knew God so well that he realized how bad he was. And as we draw near to God, like, well, I need to find application for my life. Application is God is awesome, and I am not. That's enough. That's enough application for one day. Sit in and think on that. Okay, read your Bibles this week. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for um, each and every person here this morning. Lord, if there's people who have not repented and believe, I pray that they would listen to Jesus' call on their lives, that they would repent and believe in your Son for the forgiveness of their sins, to have eternal life, and to be able to draw near to you, Lord. Lord, for those who, who do know you, who have the Holy Spirit inside of their hearts, Lord, I pray that you would awaken a new vigor, a new passion for reading your word, Lord, that you would start to show them all these connections. Lord, we just scratched the surface of what you've laid out for us to see. I pray that you would start opening the minds, give a, everyone a passion to understand your word for how much it is. God, I, I thank you um, for giving us your word, to not, for not speaking to us directly, Lord. We couldn't handle it. It's too much for us to hear directly from you. We're sinful and we're fallen. We look forward to the day that we do get to hear from you face to face in heaven where we're perfected, where we perfectly understand your word. God, I can't wait for that day to understand it without sin clouding my eyes to understanding your truth, Lord, but that I would understand it perfectly. I can't wait for that moment. I pray that um, we would all have that passion, that desire to, to understand your word more. So God, I just ask for a blessing on everyone this week that they would read your word with more depth this week. In Jesus' name, amen.